Please welcome Alice Rudigkeit, Senior UX Researcher and Urban Mobility Detective at T-Mobility, a mobility as a service startup with tremendous growth, former research consultant as UCEATS, Mobile.de, Tresurit and Prezi. Alice, great to have you. Hi, hello. Thank you for inviting me. Tier Mobility, founded in 2018, operates in 10 countries, 85 cities globally. Earlier this year, Tier unveiled plans for a pan-European energy network and introduced new product features like built-in helmets, indicator lights, or in times of COVID-19, partners with innovative companies like Protexis, who provide antibacterial copper tapes for Tier's handlebars. What's it like to be senior UX researcher at a hardware-based startup like Tier? Busy, <laughs> most of all, uh, extremely interesting. And um, I very much enjoy uh, the variety of tasks and methods that I can use. Um, yeah, in short. <laughs> 2020 is a proof of how challenging circumstances can drive innovation. At the beginning of the pandemic, you were fully remote, but you needed to move back to face-to-face -face research. What's the story behind that? So um, TIA has always been a very remote-friendly company. Um, we actually also had um, the research team that was founded end of last year. Um, very early on, we hired uh, like researchers that were not at one place. So uh, collaboration, remote collaboration was something that we had already prepared for. We also, since we are active in so many markets, we cannot just do our research in Berlin where the headquarters are located. So we were kind of ready for the transition. Um, however, we have hardware. So our product or our service is mobility. Our service is not the app. The app is... Um, a fancy or sophisticated key to use uh, scooters that bring you and uh, mopeds that bring you from A to B. Um, so we also needed um, to do hardware research because our um, hardware and scooters are built and designed for our users and for the needs of our users. So um, whilst I think the transition to full living mode went very smooth for us, um, By the time when I saw in my LinkedIn, other people started writing the first blog post, this is how we moved to uh, um, fully remote. This is how we started using Miro. This is how we discovered Zoom for us. Um, at that time, we actually were the, at the next step. Um, being in Germany, we were quite fortunate. Um, the corona situation was uh, less intense as in many other countries. So um, uh, the summer was relatively calm and we actually had to, find ways to start face-to-face -face research again when the others had just started uh, getting the hang of um, remote research because um, we had more and more um, product, product launches coming. You mentioned some of them already. Um, um, the uh, energy network where users are able to swap the batteries themselves, um, the helmets, all of this was about to be launched and we needed to do uh, checks that went beyond um, um, coffee shop testing or like uh, coffee machine testing in our case uh, because we just had to see how they are in action. And for that, we really needed to do face-to-face -face research. Um, at that point, there were also still quite pro confidential prototypes. And um, we started uh, coming up with the whole uh, hygiene regimen. So um, 
coming from UCEDS, where they have a quite elaborate lab um, for uh, testing. I could use these routines, but we had to add all the having face masks ready, providing everyone with that. It was before the time um, people were wearing them uh, by default, and where you also it was still quite a delicate thing to ask someone to do that. Um, uh, we had like just running around sanitizing everything, having a huge room, um, um, actually moving to just doing it on the streets. Uh, we were lucky this summer, so we had uh, a number of user tests that were just on the streets. So we were um, um, welcoming people. Like I had like little naps drawn. Uh, they were coming to us. They were briefed that they have to wear a mask, um, that we will sanitize everything so they don't have to be concerned about it. So all the breaks, I was just like running around spraying things. And then... Um, we were welcoming them in the lobby, did not actually bring them in the office and um, uh, were uh, testing on the street um, in front of our in front of our offices and let them play around with the hardware um, and test uh, test the things there so that everyone was safe. Um, and we had like still the full full like filming things, live streaming for observers or for note takers, uh, all of that kind of solved, but moved to the street. Um, and that was um, quite challenging uh, also in terms of data protection or confidentiality, because on the one hand, we had to track the contact details to reach out to them if necessary later on, if something happened. At the same time, uh, showing them a full confidentiality, so they had to film, uh, sign a form on uh, a non-disclosure agreement, complete confidentiality form, and the next form is like they have to give us the full contact details, <laughs> explaining that uh, in a way that um, uh, participants are not uncomfortable. Um, it was a challenge, but uh, we made it work. Um, and it was always a team effort. So it was always several people of our team involved in that and all our designers supporting us with that. And um, a nice side effect is uh, normally due to GDPR, videos are not usable for us for documentation, only for internal analysis, but we cannot share them because you see full faces. Uh, it's really, really hard to anonymize them. And now people had like, uh, they were anonymous by default because their face were, faces were almost fully covered. So um, we had less hassle with that. So that was a unforeseen positive side effect that now we could show videos uh, of things that were happening or not working well with the hardware um, to our stakeholders um, instead of just telling the stories or using sketches, what we would normally do. So uh, your research methods or tools um, were basically mobile phones, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> like uh, like a lot of mobile phones. Uh, like we, They were our cameras, our microphones, our uh, mobile data hotspots. Um, there was... Uh, yeah, and uh, all my pockets were full with sanitizer and face masks that were really important research tools at a certain point as well. And, um, yeah. And um, the tester panel, how did you get recruited um, those? That's um, a parallel story. So when um, we saw that uh, when it became clear February, March, that things are becoming serious, um, that a lockdown is happening. Um, we had several challenges, and one of them was uh, for very, very good reasons. Um, we tried to, 
be smart in spending uh, to extend the runway for the company to make sure that uh, uh, um, we don't have to lay off anyone. And um, our leadership was very uh, dedicated to that. And that was one of the priority goals that we make it through this time um, with everyone on board. And a consequence of that was um, a lot of uh, innovation around uh, cost cutting without compromising the quality. And uh, so having had a quite generous budget for research, um, uh, being able to book from external panels and providers, uh, help getting help from agencies if the resources that we had were not enough, we had to go like, okay, the resource that we are the resources, we as researchers are around that we don't have much. Uh, so we had to find ways to um, recruit users and testers um, without budget or without money to spend. Uh, we had basically free rides and uh, uh, their goodwill. So what we did in the like in the very first days, um, we had to test a lot of, especially parti part, um, particularly confidential topics. We had a friends and family panel. So was our assumption, okay, our, um, we're a big company. We have a lot of um, family members and close friends that we can trust that uh, they are not going to share our confidential topics. And at the same time, we can ask them at least once or twice for favor uh, to help us, uh, to help our company survive. I think this was a very common spirit in general. Uh, everyone tried to help each other out. And uh, in our case, um, um my personal network has excessive, excessively participated in uh, in research, and we still try to do proper screening. So uh, we had a, like a pool where, um, based on uh, demographics and so on, we were still trying to uh, screen properly. And later on, we extended that. Uh, we got the help of um, our legal and uh, security team. Um, we got some. Uh, legal barriers out of the way that we are able to reach out to our users, um, um, which normally takes very, very long, but they prioritize this as well to help us. Um, and then we could ask, start reaching out to users and recruit them and ask them if they're interested, if they have had participated in a survey already, so they showed interest in research, they could opt in uh, to become um, research participants and we could reach out to them more often and they were also more reliable uh, to actually show up, and um, we have built uh, a little um, owned panel by us on on the go on the side, so just that we could actually do research. And uh, I think a number of people here, in, including you, Tina, are aware that uh, <laughs> running a panel <laughs> is a business by itself, and this is a little side hustle has a hassle that we had to um, come up with uh, and manage um, in a compliant way so that we could actually continue doing research and doing it on a high quality level because um, our users are very diverse uh, from the city where they live, from the backgrounds that they have, from the age groups that they have. And um, you cannot just do research by asking your neighbor and your boyfriend and your desk neighbor all the time. You, that's like, especially when, you, when it comes to hardware research, when it comes to, pricing research and stuff like all of that uh, we had to cover and so yeah so we have uh, a panel at the moment and we are also planning to bring that to a next step next year and have that professionally managed 
by an external entity again. Um, and like UX research teams in SaaS companies, you are a research and insights team, including like customer research, market research, mm -hmm. HR research, mm -hmm. research for mm -hmm. the futures team, uh, meaning that you yeah. provide insights company-wide to support business mm -hmm. strategies. Mm -hmm. Sounds like yeah. you live customer centricity. Um, yeah. What are the challenges for TIA in terms of, for example, the futures research? Um, probably to like take two steps back to that question. Um, we have started very early on with um, both in product and also in research quite experienced leaders. They have uh, built teams before, they have worked with research before and um, before I even joined, there was a very smart decision to make a very interdisciplinary team that is owning basically anything that is research in the company in one central team that identifies as a team to prevent silos, um, to uh, choose the best method for the question and not because this is the go-to person because they are the market researchers and all they can do is surveys and stuff like that or like this is user research so we, we have to do usability test or use focus group because the only thing that we know how to do. Um, so that was a very smart early on decision. And um, part of this was also to understand we need a futures team. Um, a futures team is responsible for um, understanding scenarios of the future that could impact, that that could impact our um, product, but that also can lead to opportunities so that we are not just reactive to what is happening in our current reality, but also what is happening in two years, what is happening five or 10 years. Um, so they are parallel to our daily operations, um, looking into uh, uh, finding North, like North Star uh, goals for the company, for the product where we want to go and exploring directions. Um, this is a dedicated team. Um, they are. Um, They do business strategy research at the end of the day, um, which they have their own methods for that. They're very um, um, do a lot of desk research. They do a lot of expert interviews. They read a lot of um, visionary uh, um, uh, literature, and um, we help them with when it comes to details. For example, testing uh, um, uh, an MVP if the if the uh, USPs that we're planning to provide in probably two years, if they make sense to users. Um, we are um, supporting them right now with like operational details. Um, for example, right now we do a lot of expert interviews and um, the role of the research team is not necessarily owning this, um, but supporting the futures team in the operations around that, the, uh, how to get to experts, how to recruit them. Uh, things like that, but they are uh, they are doing more. I could say almost academic research is a different type of research and different 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 pace and also different goals than what we do when we uh, do our day to day problem solving. Sounds really uh, interesting um, and yeah. is um, not usual, um, if I may say, 
uh, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, research ops um, being um, supportive um, throughout the whole company. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you say tier moves like in a really super competitive and rapidly changing environment, um, mm-hmm. why not only in the times of pandemic, um, but like Bird and Uber and Bolt are only some of the names that try to get to the top. How does mm-hmm. this affect your work? Um, it is very competitive, which is inspiring everyone to give their best every day uh, in a very good way. That um, means people constantly have really good ideas. Um, they're also constantly, like everyone have in the company has a crazy sense of ownership uh, and is uh, looking at more than just what is their core role. Uh, so we constantly get suggestions. Oh, I've seen this um, or I'm inspired by this. We could like incorporate this like, probably from a completely different industry. Um, that means we have a lot of good ideas that around that uh, um, need to be tested, uh, explored. What that means um, for our daily operations is a very high need for confidentiality. Uh, because as fast as we are moving, our competitors are as well. Um, uh, a lot of um, our competitors are even producing in uh, with the same partners um, in China, uh, producing in the same hardware. So uh, we, there are so many uh, so many steps in in the process where we need to make sure that we uh, uh, we don't leak information. Be it also. Um, when we look into uh, into potential partners or um, companies to acquire, that we have to find a way to keep it as confidential as possible because uh, everything that we come that we do uh, with that fast fast pace, our competitors are probably able to um, catch up with that in a month or two, even hardware things. So we have to make sure that nothing leaks until the day of release, um, and that's important when you uh, uh, invite uh, research participants. This is also one of the challenges that we had with our self-hosted panel that uh, at the beginning we were a bit naive. Uh, like every, <laughs> uh, every testing day that we had, someone who's walking in was working for the competitors. Because um, not even for like wanting to spy on us, but just because they were really interested in mobility or very interested in UX and they wanted to help. And they uh, all wanted to share their opinions, but we constantly had people walking in from competitors um, uh, in our surveys, uh, uh, which is not just. So we have to be very cautious, a not to reveal reveal too much, to have good cover stories, to um, sometimes use budget so we can do the research without our name attached and outsource this. Um, but also have uh, very good methods to get rid of the bias in our research when industry experts ended up in our surveys and we actually wanted not their perspective, uh, we wanted the perspective of the user. Uh, um, yeah, so we also need uh, a few safeguards on catching unwanted uh, 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 research feedback that is not by the people that we wanted the research the feedback from. You launched a lot of product features um, for safety and security. Um, mm-hmm. Was it based on your research? And is this one main factor um, in terms of customers? Um, 
we supported it with, with research, uh, especially the helmets that you mentioned before. Uh, um, but these ideas have been there before. We have uh, very, very uh, fast-thinking and um, innovative sourcing team, hardware designers and sourcing team. So they also very often already five steps ahead and uh, these decisions have already been made um, before the research team even existed. Um, we're just there to support them and to support them more and more intensively um, with future uh, designs. Um, the need for safety has always been there. It's one of the main points that is criticized on micromobility in general. Right now, focusing on e-scooters, but it's the same challenge for um, mopeds, for bikes, anything that uh, where you're not in a, in a metal box and not protected. And uh, authorities, it's important to authorities, uh, of course, before they allow uh, um, a company to, to place the, um, the scooters in the city. Uh, it is important for the um, actual users. It is something that holds a lot of people back from using scooters. Um, so, and that actually, probably have not met, probably discussed that later, but um, was one of the things that I was personally also quite critical about um, uh, before I joined here when I was also not the biggest fan of e-scooters. And uh, I remember in my job interviews, uh, I said like one of the next things to tackle are helmets and I had like complete different ideas how this could be done. I, ne I had never imagined that you just find a way to attach helmets to the vehicle. I thought like probably like a place where you can rent them or uh, where you can pick them up or you, you can buy them like a recap or like when you can have a, an owned um, coffee cup and you bring them with you and something like that but I did not like the solution that they came up with I did not imagine that and that's why I'm also a researcher I need other people to imagine the things and I just organize their thoughts well, since you're mentioning it uh, how did you actually decide for team mobility um, before you worked at TIER you were consultant mm -hmm. at your seats what brought mm -hmm. you to TIER um Two things. So I had um, originally started my career uh, like in academia and research. Then um, it was more soft around software as a service. Um, and um, as a consultant, like in the years before I started working uh, for TIER, I've been working at Mobility. So I've been in the like sector of mobility automotive quite a bit. I've been doing research on car sales. I've been re doing research on um, right tail uh, autonomous driving. So like I had a lot of touch points like from different angles on this industry. Um, obviously living in a city like Berlin, also personal interest. And um, when I had left uh, uh, or when I felt like it's time for me to move on to work in-house so I can work a bit more focused on one topic, um, One of the reasons I ended up or like that I decided for TIA was um, actually not the product, it was the people. Um, I knew I would be joining um, a company where uh, there is a very strong research-driven, data-driven uh, culture. Um, we have leaders that do not run their first company um, who know what they're doing. And... Um, that I also, I, when I joined, um, 
Victoria Busse, our um, director of customer journey, was already there. I had worked with her before at Mobility. I knew um, uh, I like the way she ticks. Uh, she most likely liked the way I tick. Um, there was um, also uh, Nina Schacht, who was a freelance researcher um, working there um, to help ramping up the team, uh, the research team, and to recruit it. So what they did uh, at Tier, instead of organically growing a research team from starting to hire a working student and like let them drown, <laughs> let them drown in the work and then just slowly building it up, um, they directly decide, okay, we start, um, we start with um, uh, very senior researchers, we start on a high level, so we get external help to um, get the team up and running in a, basically a month. So we directly started with uh, all the ops processes that normally organically grow over the years. And that was uh, mostly Nina's work. And I know also Nina from earlier work. Um, and uh, so I knew I would be coming to a place where things are run the way I like them <laughs> and where I can also make a difference. And um, yeah, so I decided for people. And I also then decided for a product where I can help being having a, a, a critical distance to the product myself. I'm not exactly the core demographic um, for e-scooters um, helping to make an impact and uh, I was very very happy to see that some of the things that I thought like are the, the deal breakers about it were things that I, they have already been working on months before I even joined so I was banging open doors What are the next steps in research of TIER? Um, we are growing We're hiring. Um, you can, like, if you go to tier.app, you can see uh, a lot of job offers around UX and research. Um, we are growing the team because we have, as you mentioned before, we have much more demand and capacities at the moment. We do not need to evangelize research. We just need to find ways to get it done and to continue continuously getting it done on the high level that we do already. And for that, we need more, more brain and people power. And um, that's the plan. We want to have a few more specialists um, uh, on research ops, on UX writing, um, uh, on high-level data analysis, having um, a person that can liaise better with um, BI or um, take over some things. And, yeah, and on the go, uh, By going the team, we usually like we not. It's not the core purpose, but we also accidentally add a lot of language skills or uh, language variety, which is very very important with um, all these markets that we're active in. Um, that we're able to reach them. There are certain markets that you just cannot do research if you don't know the culture and if you don't know the language, because um, especially. France and Paris being such an important market for us, it's not accessible to us. If you say like, okay, here we are, we want to interview you, but you have to be fluent in English. It's they just they like, oh, they will just think, okay, that's your problem. So we need, um, and we actually just uh, hired um, two French uh, native speakers for our team. So this is extending our reach. It will be the same for the Emirates, um, where it is important for us to. Sooner or later, have someone who can help us with um, user research in Arabic. And you're also um, 
not only at work, but um, privately, passionate to mentor young talents. Uh, as yes. And you were, um, among others, asking question on how far can you load a system or a company with young talents? What drives mm -hmm. you there? Um, my own career started like this. Uh, I think that typical until very recently, it was not typical that people had degrees that were directly leading to your ex design or your ex research. Um, and I had basically two other careers before I became a, um, a user researcher and, um, I got a lot of help. I had a lot of mentors in, um, Uh, back in Hungary when I worked for Prezi, um, people who believed in me, who gave me an opportunity, who sat down in their spare time um, uh, uh, to work with me, to get me ready to transition to a job. Um, I also had a, a, a later at Trezorit, um, uh, a head of product, um, one of the co-founders who really believed in me and um, uh, trusted me to be the first user researcher there, even though I was incredibly junior and I did not really know what I was doing, <laughs> but he trusted me with, uh, um, with trying. And, um, yeah, and this is just, I think it is in the DNA of the UX community to give back. And, uh, I'm ready at this point to give back. Uh, I also, from my university years, I have, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trained as educator. So I, uh, I also really much, very much enjoy that. It's so good to see other people grow. Um, I started doing that informally last year, um, with a former workmate of mine, um, who wanted to had a very similar path compared to mine with transitioning. And, um, we started working like, uh, on practical projects, helping her with, um, portfolio projects, um, I think within four or five months, she had her first junior job as a UX researcher. I was incredibly proud. Um, did something similar this year um, uh, with another person that wanted to transition from from another role in tech to uh, user research. We just hired her for our team. Very, very proud of her. And um, yeah, and I since this is very... Time-consuming also for me. It's very hard to set boundaries um, when you have a very demanding job. I, this very, very close one-to-one -one mentoring, weekly project support is very demanding. So I was very, very happy when um, in March, I think in March it was um, a UX coffee hours uh, got invented. where um, Really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where people who have... Uh, um, Uh, experience to share and, and are willing to donate some of their time um, uh, from any UX profession are offering um, a weekly time slot that uh, especially young talent and aspiring UX, uh, UX talent can book for uh, career advice, for um, portfolio feedback, for um, actual just discussion, discussing practical issues in my, like in, for the UX research professional will be like practical really research design questions when someone is the first, like similar to me, uh, the first researcher in, uh, uh, in a company, uh, they don't really have peers for sparring. And it's like, okay, I have this problem to solve. I have zero budget. I have nothing. How can I do that? And then you can give them tips, can give them tips. Okay. okay you don't, you think you have no tools, but go to your HR and sales team. And they actually have tools that you can use. Um, cause they have Calendly, they have, uh, um, 
uh, tools for digital signing. Um, they have certain processes that are already considered compliant by the company, so you can use them. Zoom, I like I started using Zoom because in the company where I was the first UX researcher, they had Zoom licenses. The sales team had Zoom licenses and they let me use it. Um, I started using Calendly because I saw uh, our HR team here was using it uh, for recruiting. So tips like that you can uh, give them and they're usually very energized. And especially this year is so difficult for um, aspiring UX talent. It's The first gig is so hard to get. Um, and this year is almost devastating for many of them because they have this vision and they always hear this is a such a great opportunity and this is a great um uh, uh, uh industry to work in and then now nobody is hiring or nobody is willing to hire juniors even that's the normal and so sometimes this is also sometimes just to pick people up who are very um demotivated or um are not happy and they uh they can book hours with people from very renovated uh companies like facebook whatsapp um airbnb uh you name like google um and they talk to them and hear from them uh that they think you're talented and that you're doing something right can really boost someone's confidence i met incredible people that way and uh, uh these fridays like this I, i do it on friday afternoons um are very often one of my favorite meetings of the day uh, of the week yeah Well, and it's very important, I think, um, um, especially in the situation, I think in, in Germany or in Europe, um, there might, there might be enterprise, um, or bigger companies that can afford uh, research teams, but, um, mm. but smaller and uh, middle sized companies, uh, that struggle actually with, um, mm. UX, especially research, yes. um, or to understand what's the, value of research and all those insights you are generating actually mm. as you um describe for mm -hmm. tier for example so in terms of tier um what's the next step for tier the next great thing the biggest challenge right now do you have some like maybe a nostar metric that you all follow <laughs> uh without going too much into detail sure As we discussed earlier, um, we are a leading uh, micro-mobility provider in Europe. Uh, we want to extend this. Uh, we want to defend this position. Uh, we want to launch more markets. Um, we want to reach more user groups uh, or potential users um, with sustainable uh, um, mobility in various ways that can be like just meeting them in the middle of what they need more or motivating to try something they haven't tried before. Um, and uh, yeah, a number of pilots that we have running at the moment, uh, of course, also should be uh, rolled out globally. Um, uh, we are about to roll out um, helmets. We are already working um, uh, on uh, uh, extending the pilot that we have in um Uh, Tampere at the moment, um, where um, people can use uh, people can use these helmets, uh, not not helmets. I'm um, swapping user swapping, so you can uh, swap uh, batteries yourself. Uh, so you get a little voucher for that, or you get a little reward, and that actually 
is really, really helping to sustainability in our operations. A, that helps us to declutter the cities because um, it moves um, um, uh, inactive or soon to be inactive scooters uh, out of the way. Um, users can participate in it. Uh, we have to ha drive, we need, need to drive around less in the city to do that ourselves. And um, it also uh, makes uh, mobility actually more affordable because um, we're trying to run uh, these scooters on a realistic price, on a price that is sustainable for everyone involved. And if um, some groups cannot necessarily, like it is too expensive for some groups and um, they, if they can make it less expensive for themselves by helping us a little bit, um, this is also great for them. Um, when they help us with two minutes of their time by swapping a battery so someone doesn't have to come from the other end of the city to do that, uh, they get something from us in exchange and they can use our mobility options. Very interesting. I think this sustainability uh, topic uh, is going to be um, uh, more exciting in the future and I'm curious on how you are going to deal with that. Um, in our show, um, I always have a top five list that I ask every guest. So which is your number one book? Uh, Handbook of Usability Testing. That's how I started with. This is one of my, it's a very old book. I don't know how many new versions of it or like revised versions of it exist at the moment. Um, I recommend it to everyone who wants to start uh, because it's quite actionable and not so feel reloaded and it just walks you step by step on the go. You read one chapter, you start working on that first chapter, like on that step of the research so you can really um, get to start. And um, number one resource, blog, podcast, magazine? Um, probably, I know surprising, but uh, a challenge that you have as well when you work in a private sector and you come from academia, um, advanced uh, uh, statistical testing, uh, a lot of the tools that are in our comfort zone as old school researchers are just not affordable in the private sector. So I am very excited. I was very excited when uh, a few months back I found uh, social science statistics. Um, that's a platform where I can uh, do the statistical testing that I normally would need um, Stato or SPSS or R for. And um, I can run this with very low effort um, there without uploading detailed data, just like uh, aggregated data. And I can do this testing there, which um, really helped me to do advanced um, uh, quantitative research uh, without buying expensive tools. Number one person you follow? Uh, Tom Novak. Uh, I follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, he's a cultural insight researcher, so he's not a, like not just a user researcher. And I would like almost everything that he posts. I would like to share. Um, very very interesting cultural observations. Um, he finds very interesting articles uh, on things that are developing, and I this also overlapping with things that are interesting for our futures team. Number one research method. I'm coming from originally from a media psychology background. Uh, so I really enjoy um, behavioral experiments. Um, 
typically you would do that only as A-B testing in the company. There are ways to do that or to simulate A-B testing um, without having to build a product and you still have similar quality quantitative insights. And so I try to do uh, experimental surveys a lot when, when they're appropriate. So I'm really happy I got the opportunity more now to do that because it's not the first thing people think about when they think about user research. Right. Uh, number one skill a researcher must have. Empathy. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so before we come to the end of today's episode, one last request. Um, give our listeners a statement that you would like to see spread around the world. Um, give juniors a chance. Um, as soon as if you as soon you have uh, your access in your team that has seen you enough to share their skills, get a working student, get an associate or junior researcher so that they can support it and that they can learn from them. Great. Alice, I'm so honored that I had the chance to talk to you and um, about TIER and research team. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure and um, stay safe. You too. <laughs> Everyone, yeah. <laughs>